Well, Tanya and I had the joy of spending the day in Fremantle way back in 2002. Uh, the Dome Cafe was a definite highlight. Uh, Joe's Seafood for lunch, I think we spent three hours there. Uh, the Maritime Museum was really something else. Just when you think you've learned uh, all about Australia's history, there's an entire West Coast that has its own story to tell. Indonesian pearl traders, the Dutch, Tinnika's cheering right now, no doubt. And it's so different to the East Coast stuff that we've learned in school. And then there's the indigenous telling of Australia's history, where they're asking, what's this about Australia being discovered? We've been here the whole time. All of those three examples, the East Coast, the West Coast and the Aboriginal telling, it's all Australia's history, but they're different perspectives, aren't they? A different telling. And thinking about this is going to help us tackle chapter 6 and following, I hope. It's about the crucified Son of God and his church and his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven, but it's told in different ways. So let's pray. Father God, we pray that as we open up the book of Revelation, you would show yourself, you'd show us the glory and wonder that is your son Jesus, and that you would lead us in the way of repentance and faith. Grow us, Father, by your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. The slain lamb, the crucified son of God, he's got the scroll, remember. And this is going to unlock something epic. We've got three sets of seven divine judgments. Seven means complete, remember? Seven seals, seven trumpets. And at chapter 16, you'll see seven bowls. Notice John weaves all these sevens together. For example, the seven bowls, they come out of the seventh trumpet and the seventh seal. And the seven trumpets, trumpets, they emerge from the seventh seal. It's like they're nesting dolls or something. Each seventh contains the next seven. They're not chronological, but interwoven. And notice that each seven culminates in a final judgment. And the final judgment, every time it reads the same way. The, the respective conclusions match. John is using these different depictions to communicate the same period of time. Same story, just a different telling. There's overlap, there's repetition because it's the same kind of thing we're looking at each time. It's the time, so what is the time? It's the time between Jesus' resurrection and his final return at the end of history. Now, back to chapter 6. You want me to get to the horses, don't you, if you've read, read ahead. This is Zechariah chapter 4 imagery. Uh, we've got the white horse in verse 2 is bent on conquest and division. We've got the fiery red horse, verse 4, violence and war. Black horse, verse 5, is about economic injustice and turmoil, the scales and 
day's wages. Um, and so, for example, let me explain it. During famine or time of crisis, things get expensive or they become in short supply. Uh, so do you remember 20 kilo bags of flour, anybody, at the supermarket? Uh, I know Tanya sure does. Uh, when I shared this with Joe Butler, he went, yeah, the toilet rolls, that was a thing, Adam. I'm like, that's right. Things like that. You get it. Thanks, Joe. Uh, fourth horse, it is death. Uh, this is yet another tragic day in human history. And the fifth seal, verse 9, uh, when they opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain. Why? Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus they had maintained. They murdered Christian martyrs before God's heavenly throne. And the cry of their innocent blood rises up before God like smoke before the altar of incense. But of course, verse 11, so they ask, how long, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? And verse 11, he basically says, you're going to have to wait. You can rest and you can wait. Uh, why? Because there are still more Christians who are going to suffer and die. How is that okay? God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven is still coming. That's why. Which brings us to the sixth seal. This is God's ultimate response to their cry. This is the great day of the Lord that you can read about in Isaiah chapter 2 or Joel chapter 2 or Amos chapter 5. And with this sixth seal, look at verse 17. You can see that people of the earth cry out and they're asking, who can withstand it? On this great day of the Lord, when judgment comes, who is able to stand? Who is able to stand? Look at verse 15. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, what did they do? They hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called on the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of the wrath has come and who can withstand it? Do you see that the kingdoms of the earth would rather die than face Jesus? Do you see that? They would rather be inundated. They would rather be submerged, not by a flood of water, being there. This is a mountain-like deluge. Uh, well, they would rather have a mountain fall on them, if you can imagine that. Which shows us in chapter 6 that God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance before him. Think about that very clearly. God's judgment alone does not bring people to humble repentance before him. Good thing for us to think about in our witness. It does show us also that Jesus Christ is not weak, pathetic and insignificant. 
that Jesus, as he unlocks the seven seals, he is the Lord of history. He is over and across all of it. He rules with power and authority. This is the one with Matthew, Matthew 28. All authority and power has been given to me. Here we see it at the end of chapter 6. And so this is a good corrective for us as Christians. We need to remember, you know, the devil does not rule history. Do you know what happens when we give the devil too much credit? Sometimes we do it to cover up our own shortcomings. It's particularly poor when those in ministry do it. We put the devil, uh, he's the blame for whatever problem there is. And we put the devil on an equal footing with Jesus somehow in our language. And that's a heresy called dualism. And, And you need to stop that. We need to stop that. Revelation Revelation chapter 6 will have none of that. See that Jesus is the Lord of history. That all authority and power is his. And so I want to ask as we end chapter 6, is your image of Jesus big enough? Are you in awe of the Lamb? the crucified Son of God. And if you are in awe of him, well, how does that show in your life, in what we, what we speak, what we think about, uh, how we spend our time, how we spend our treasure? I tell you who are in awe of the Lamb. It's the mob in chapter 7. Uh, but we'll come back. This is chapter 7 an interlude. We'll come back to that because I want to go find the seventh seal. The seventh seal is in chapter 8. The seventh seal is opened, out comes the seven trumpets. Sounds like a lot like the seven seals, uh, but it's worse. Everything's amped up. Uh, If chapter 6 was like an original movie from the 1950s, then chapter 8 plays out like it's a remake that's amped up. It's more graphic. It's got some new characters. Same story. Just a different telling. It's a bit like, you know, Snow White. The cartoon from Disney, childlike, safe, cutesy, delightful. And then the adults turned it into a movie for grown-ups. Snow White and the Huntsman, I think it was called. And it was violent. It had horror themes. It was dark at times and okay it had Chris Hemsworth in it sure but you get the idea this is what's going on I think same story different telling chapter 8 for example verses 3 to 4 another angel who had the golden censer came and stood at the altar he was given much incense to offer With the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne, the smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. And didn't we do this in chapter 6? Verse 9 with the fifth seal. 
Except there, the blood ran down the altar in chapter 6. But here, prayers are rising up. That's pretty cool. In chapter 6, what followed the cries and the prayers of the martyrs? Was it the day of the Lord? Earthquake and all that? And here in chapter 8, what follows? Verse 5, the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning and an earthquake. Think we're getting the idea? Same story, just a little different. And now with the trumpets, John is going to, He's going to get the Exodus on. He's going to tell this story, but they're all going to, uh, they're going to riff on the Exodus something shocking. So, for example, let's rework this story with plagues, Adam. Okay, so in chapter 8, verse 7, you've got hail and fire. In verse 8, you've got bitter waters. In verse 12, you've got darkness. In verse nine, chapter 9, verse 3, we've got locusts. And then verse 7, we've got Super-powered locusts, they, I think they ride, they look like horses and they've got armour and anyway, uh, you've got people in verse 6, chapter 9, that would rather die. That was chapter 6, wasn't it? Chapter 9, verse 6, same thing, people would rather die. Um, trumpets 1 to 5, no doubt, they resemble the plagues, no escaping that. Trumpet number 6. Verse 13, can you see it? We've got the four horsemen back. Been there. And then John tells us, as we come to the end of chapter 9, that just like Pharaoh, despite all of this, there are people who still refuse to repent. The, the judgment that should cause people to turn around, turn to God, has hardened them towards God. So verse 20 of chapter 9, the rest of mankind were not killed by these plagues, still did not repent of the work of their hands. They did not stop worshipping demons, idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood, idols that cannot see or hear or walk. That's Isaiah. Nor did they repent of their murders, their magic arts, their sexual immorality or their thefts. God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance before him. We need to remember that in our witness. God's judgment alone will not bring people to humble repentance before him. God has shown himself time and time again in history, hasn't he? Noah, think the exodus. We've had tastes of both. Yet people continue to have hard hearts towards God. And so we must ask, what is it going to take? Is there any hope for humanity? How about trumpet seven? By chapter 11, the seventh trumpet sounds and there's finality again. The kingdom of the world is taken over by Christ. And you can see at the end of chapter 11, there's rejoicing in heaven. Just like the end of chapter 5, just like how chapter 7 follows chapter 6, it's all there. And so how do we respond? What do we make of all this? Can we see it's a mistake when people don't want to make unhelpful, 
direct identification with specific historical events and turn this book into some kind of futuristic chronological thing. In World War II, 50 million people were killed. In World War I, it was 8 million. There's a flu pandemic between 1918 and 19. 50 million people died. In 1874, there was a potato famine in Ireland. 1 million people died. There was the Black Plague, 75 million. These disasters could be any event in history. Do we see that this is life in the world that we live in? This is life between the resurrection and ascension of Christ and his final return. Horrible things have happened and horrible things will continue to happen until Christ comes again and does away with sin and death and evil till his kingdom comes in on earth as it is in heaven. And so we need not be surprised. We look at the news and the world has gone mad. Why are we surprised? Bushfires, pandemic, race protests and riots. That's just this year. But who is the Lord of history? The Lord is king. And because he is king, he's going to look after everything. And because he's going to look after everything, we're going to sing and we keep singing and we keep praying and we keep testifying. We keep doing those things we see the saints do in the book of Revelation. Now amidst these horrible things, can you see blessing? In chapter 7, we see God's people are marked. An angel with a signet ring marks God's servants who are enduring all of this hardship and what about verse 4 think hard here verse 4 then I heard the number of those who were sealed 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel Uh, and then it outlines a census of sorts this is a military census think numbers chapter 1 it's almost like for like 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. But pay attention because the number of this army is what John heard, isn't it? He heard the number. And you know what occurred to me this week? But you know back in chapter 5, John heard? Do you know he heard about the the line, the conquering line of Judah in chapter 5, verse 5? The elder spoke and said, look at the Lion of Judah, but then as John turned and he looked in verse 6, he saw surprising fulfillment in Jesus, he saw a lamb. So, what he heard, and then as he turned and looks, is different. Here, John hears 144,000, he turns and he looks and he sees. And what does he see? Verse 9, there before me, a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they're wearing white robes and they're waving palm branches and they cry out, salvation belongs 
to our God. Here is a surprising fulfilment in Jesus the Lamb. Here is a great multitude that is a messianic army of God's kingdom. People from all nations fulfilling God's ancient promise to Abraham. Genesis 12. Here is the army of the Lamb who can stand before God. Who can stand before God? These guys can. Why? Because they've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And now they're called to conquer. Not by killing their enemies, but by suffering and bearing witness, just like the risen Lamb. Can you see them sealed and owned and loved by God? Can you see them continue to sing as they hold true to the word of God and the testimony of Jesus? But we still want to know, though, don't we, that amidst all this drama, how is this going to play out for Christians? As God's kingdom comes here on earth, is there more to say? And the answer, of course, is absolutely. Look at chapter 10. Chapter 10 and 11, it's the story of the little scroll. Sounds like a kid's book, doesn't it? The story of the little scroll. But here in the story of the little scroll and the, the not-so-little angel, we're going to see God's kingdom come here on earth. In chapter 11, verse 1, John see, he's eaten the scroll and now he sees God's temple and the martyrs. Notice the chapter ends, chapter 11 ends, with God's temple and uh, heaven opening up. So it takes you from this earthly temple to the transcendent heavenly one. That's important to know. Back on earth, the old one is measured, people are counted. The outer courts in the city are excluded and trampled on by the nations, verse 2. In fact, later in verse 8, it's compared the old city, Jerusalem, is compared to the enemies of God, Sodom and Egypt, where also the Lord was crucified, verse 8, it says. This is a place where prophets, God's prophets, go to die. And it's got to be doomed, the old city. And of course, verse 13, it is at that very hour, Chapter 11, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Mark 13, in the Gospels, Jesus is at the temple. They're leaving. The disciples go, wow, look at the massive stones. And they are massive, trust me. But Jesus responds, boys, it's all coming down. The temple that once stood as a testimony to the world, its witness is going to end. Jesus promises that. And it gets you thinking about somewhere like John chapter 2, doesn't it? When Jesus says, you know, if you tear the temple down, I'll raise it in three. And the disciples later worked out, oh, the real temple that Jesus is talking about is his body. And as his witnesses today... It is his church. We are the temple of God. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And the authority of Christ is now expressed through his church. We need to see that here because that brings us to the two witnesses. 
So verse 3, two witnesses are prophetic representatives to the nation. They appear. And why is there two? Because it's a legal thing. It's a common concept in the Bible. You can't be a witness on your own. You've got to have two. That's Matthew 18, verse 16, or Luke chapter 10 has a story about it. Again, this is Zechariah 4 imagery, but some people reckon this is actually really, truly just it's two, two prophets who will appear one day in the future. It's curious, though, because in verse 4 it says, They are two olive trees. Uh, Zechariah 4, connect that to the Holy Spirit, I think. Uh, and the two lampstands, and they stand before the Lord of the earth. What's a lampstand? It's a church. An essential ingredient for the church is a spirit. Here is a spirit-empowered church of Jesus Christ. Uh, the lampstand is a clear symbol for the churches. So this vision is more likely about the prophetic role of Jesus' followers who are all about the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. But then verse 7 in chapter, chapter 11 continues, watch the drama. Uh, I'll, I'll go real quick. Verse 7, terrible beast appears. Should get you thinking of Daniel 7. He conquers the witnesses. In fact, he kills them. Great, awesome storytelling, Adam. Uh, but then verse 11, God brings them back to life. And then he vindicates the witnesses before the enemies. And then what happens? As uh, the witnesses are raised to, to heaven, to, to the true temple, what happens? Do, do we expect the nations in response to continue to have hard hearts as they see all this? Look at verse 12. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud while their enemies looked on. That's the two witnesses have gone. Uh, and at that very hour, there was a severe earthquake and a tenth of the city collapsed. 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. Survivors were terrified. And what did they do? They gave glory to the God of heaven. Here is something. Finally, we see something. Such that the many of the nations finally do repent and they give glory to the creator God on the day of the Lord. See, God's warning judgments did not generate repentance among the nations. Just like Pharaoh's plagues only served to harden Pharaoh's heart. So how? See, the kingdom of God, as the kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven, as it comes, does it come like a lion ready to maul Rome? No. No, no. The kingdom of God comes by a lamb. That's chapter 5. And so then we go, well, how does the lamb conquer? How did the lamb do this? Did and the answer is, well, didn't he conquer? Doesn't the lamb conquer his enemies by loving them? And by dying for them? Isn't that what he's done for you and I? And now the message of the scroll reveals the mission of the lamb's army, his church. Here's our mission. God's kingdom will be revealed when the nations see the church imitating the loving sacrifice of the lamb. Not killing their enemies, but, be, but being willing to die for them. 
counting the cost, getting trodden on. That's chapter 11. Suffering for the gospel. Going to the city, verse 7. And sure, being able to finish their testimony, that's verse 7. But being willing to die for it as well. It is God's mercy shown through Jesus' followers that will bring the nations to repentance. This is the message of the open scroll, I think. The lamb was slain to free us from sin and the power of evil, which means the victory of God. It's not a long way off in the future. God reigns now in the hearts of his people. The seed has been planted, yes. We wait for the harvest when Christ returns. But in the meantime, we are the ones who hold out a message of hope to our world. And so we keep preaching the gospel. We hold on to the word of truth and the testimony of Jesus, even though that's going to irk some, even though the world will be angry about that. But we are not to be buffeted by the terrible things that happen. Don't be discouraged and put off. Here is an opportunity for us to point people to the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is how God's kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. It's through the witness of those who love and follow Jesus. And so let us be those who continue to love and follow Jesus. Let us count the cost. Let us take up our cross and follow him. Amen.